0: Welcome to Canine Hijinks, the podcast for those who want to explore more ways to have fun with their dogs and perhaps discover the wider world of training and dog sports. It may even convert the casual pet owner into a dog sport enthusiast. Join me, Alyssa Looney. And me, Whitney Taylor, as we share our dog training
1: journeys, as well as resources you can use to enhance your life with your canine friends.
0: Welcome to Canine Hijinks. We are here today with Rachel Downs and we are actually in person around the same table.
2: Amazing.
0: Having this conversation. I know it's it's not it's a rare thing for us here. Rachel Downs is an agility instructor and dog trainer out of Texas. She has been involved in dog training and dog sports since she was a child and as an adult she is a Professional dog trainer and sport dog trainer. And we're going to talk to her today about stimulus control, which is not the same as impulse control. And we'll get into why that is in a bit. But before we get started, we always have to say what we've been up to with our dogs to have some fun lately. So Rachel, why don't you start by introducing who your dogs are so we know and tell us what you've been doing with them
2: sure. lately. Sure, thank you. Um, this is really lovely to like be in Portland and be doing something. This is totally new to me, so it's really fun. Um, my dogs, I have eight dogs, so I don't know that you really want me to go into every single one of that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you've got Ricky numbers here. Um, I have, I, well, and I have like several that are retired agility dogs, so they mostly just like live on the farm now and do things. I have a Pyrenees who is our farm dog, um, and then I have my oldest dog who's in competition is Glory. Um, she's an eight-year-old Border Collie, and uh, she and I are currently alternates on the WAO team, so we've just been trying to like stay in shape and ready to go if we need to go. Um And um, But we're also preparing, like, she's eight years old, and so she's moving down to 16 select, so we're about to um, see what that does to our timing and how that (laughs) works. Um, And then I also have her half-brother is my three-year-old boy, Legolas, um, who's the one who's with us today. Um, And he and I are really kind of just trying to find our stride together. We're working a lot on our jumping and figuring out jumping and spacing because he's a giant moose. Um, And then I have a... Um, almost two-year-old Icelandic sheepdog who is Frodo, who is my um, six-year-old daughter's dog. And so she and I are working on training Frodo to do agility. So it's a little slow going because I'm trying to make sure the six-year-old is really, you know, getting the right kind of split down for herself along with training the young dog. Um, And then I have um, two Chihuahua mixes who were not originally supposed to be agility dogs, but we are toying with the agility prospect with both of them. Um, So that's a really fun new thing because I've never owned personally tiny, tiny dogs. And so it's kind of a really fun, different uh, thing for me to try.
0: That's awesome. And Whitney, I know you had an accomplishment yesterday. With Sprite.
1: Sprite and I got our very first premier standard queue in AKC Agility. So that was really exciting. It was a very nice course. I was just super, super pleased because we have not been running standard courses for very long. And then she topped off the day with a novice standard cue so it was a lovely lovely day and now we're here to do this and then tomorrow we go back to akc so a
0: fun-filled weekend for us how about you Alyssa? been all about agility lately and also taking we actually didn't do that much this week except just be dogs, which is always good for the dogs. But this has been a really fun weekend. And I think uh, we sat through last night a three-hour lecture that Rachel did on stimulus control. And I had some light bulb moments for myself and my journey with Ale that I think will really help clean up some of our training. So I'm excited to get some of that worked out. So let's talk then about stimulus control. And I think What last night after the lecture, I was thinking about it and how it's confusing that people think stimulus control is the same as impulse control. And what I kind of boiled it down to in very broad strokes is impulse control is about teaching your dog what not to do. Stimulus control is about teaching your dog what to do.
2: That's it. Yes. Um, Like kind of in right, like you said, in very broad strokes, that's what we're looking at. And so there's... Uh, There's a couple different kind of facets to that, um, but traditionally impulse control style games rely on negative punishment protocols. So we're essentially tricking the dog to teach it not to do something. We're offering it something that we know the dog wants, and then when the dog does something that we don't want it to do, we revoke that thing. Um, whereas with stimulus control, what we want to do is make sure that we are breaking behaviors down into small enough little slices that the dog is being successful and through positive reinforcement learning what we want it to do. So I think like a great example is if your dog has a two-on-two-off on on the dog walk, and we, we have a tunnel in front of them, right? And we want the dog, instead of thinking in terms of we want the dog to stop and not go in the tunnel, we want to think about teaching the dog to stop and wait until we cue the tunnel instead of what not to do, what to do. Um, so it's really about changing your thought process about how you're going to break that down for the dog so that we're helping the dog be successful because traditional impulse control style games are not positive reinforcement, and they tend to create a lot of confusion for the dog.
0: Yeah, and we've spent a lot of time talking about how clarity is so important for our dogs. You know, we all look back at our past dogs and think that poor dog, I was. how could they have ever done what I asked them to do? Because our training protocols were so confusing. And I'm thinking about that now in terms of stimulus control and how I can really clean up what I'm asking the dog to do so that they know what to do and when at all times.
2: Absolutely. And thank God they're such like saintly creatures, right? And they (laughs) learn to put up with us and they learn and they forgive that they learn essentially that they have to generalize these things in different contexts so that, oh, uh, you know, my mom is not clear. And so in this context, this thing means this, but in this context over here, it means something else. And so they do that. And thank God they put up with us that way. But we, we, you know, when you know better, you do better. So hopefully we're moving in that direction that we can start really, really making things easy on them so that they understand early on and they're not learning through failure. Which is definitely ideal. Yes.
0: So talk us through a little bit about what a marker cue is and how that contributes to stimulus
2: control sure sure so um a marker cue i think a lot of people when i ask this question have this response of oh it's it's the cue that tells the dog he was right well dogs don't understand that concept right they they oh the way to a dog's heart is through his stomach so he understands the marker cue means reinforcement is available. He's either getting the food or getting the toy, or he's not. That's all the marker cue means. And it cues a behavior, right? When we say, yes, we want the dog to go get the food. When we say, get it, we want the dog to go get the toy. That's a behavior. The reason the cues are so important to stimulus control is that the stimulus we want the the dog to respond to in agility is the cue that we give. Now, You know, in an ideal world, that's our verbal cues. But certainly our body cues, the environmental cues can override those verbals. But marker cues, all of the cues we give the dogs, we want to be consistent about. We want to be very clear about. Because if the dog is not receiving those cues, then it means the dog is having to guess what our desires are. So we want the dog to understand, right? The toy is only available to you after I've said get it. And so we have to be really clear and and consistent with our cues for the dog to have good control.
0: And I like that one. And that's where I think I have a little bit of a hole with Ale, even though um, I feel like she's got really good toy skills, certainly compared to her brother. She has really good toy (laughs) skills. But the other day I was training with her and realizing that she was looking at me too much because I had the toy in my hand. Yeah. And then she couldn't concentrate on her job. And um, same thing with the weaves, I was finding that she was a little bit confused with her entries, because she was trying to rush to the end of the polls, because then she knows she gets her toy. Gets toy. yeah. And so instead of her thinking about her job, and then waiting for the cue to get the toy, she's just rushing through the process and getting the toy and then forgetting to think. And so I think for me, that's where this really applies. I think I've done a really nice job teaching her to get the toy and what a lot of those words mean, but there's a little bit of a missing piece there.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's And it's really a level of trust. Does the dog, if if the dog can trust that we are consistent all the time about what cues, and of course we're humans, we're going to make mistakes, but thank God they're saintly, Um, if the dog can trust that we are going to consistently give them the cue to let them know when that reinforcement is available, then it creates a lot of independence from that reinforcement. They no longer have to worry or think about it. So if the dog knows that he's only going to get fed from food in your hands when you say yes, then it means that he's not going to be running next to you, staring at your hands the whole time, going maybe now, maybe now, maybe now, right? He can he can look forward, he can look to do his job, he can engage his brain because he can trust that I will let him know when that food is coming. I will let him know when that toy is available. Um, and so they're not left guessing. And that actually creates huge independence for them from the reinforcement itself. And I think that gets kind of lost on people is that they think... They think that when we take those reinforcements and we get them, you know, in a place where it's visible to the dog, so not hidden in our pants or in our pockets or whatever, um, that it's going to create some type of dependence on it. And that's really, it's quite the opposite when you are consistent with your cues and your dog understands when to take that reinforcement, then it creates massive amounts of independence from it. More
1: thinking, because that's, um, <laughs> you said... So they're not guessing when the reinforcement will be available. But also, I think my dogs are like, can I convince you to make the reinforcement available? <laughs> and so they're spending all their time like, you, you're you going to give it to me now, right? How about... Maybe, how it's, about, now, maybe, maybe it's, now, it's now. Maybe it's now. Maybe it's now. It's now. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's all they're thinking about. They're not... They can't go do a thing because they're trying to... Convince. They're so
2: hyper fixated on yeah. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I think for sure that becomes a problem. Um, and I do think that... A little bit on that in that vein is sometimes just like with going to just just like with like releasing from start lines or releasing from contacts or or tables or whatever. A lot of times I see people where the dog is like, the dog has decided he's going to go get the reinforcement and then the person says, get it. And so the dog is reinforced that way. And I see that a lot with those duration kind of positions. And so we see those behaviors start to degrade. Um, I saw Ale do it one time today, right? Where she read your mind, right? (laughs) She was like, "I, I know she's about to say break. So I'm just going to go and then break came out of your mouth. And it was such a millisecond response that you didn't even notice it to start with. But I see the same thing happen with reinforcements. And so sometimes when dogs start to get a little pushy on that, um, I find that it's often not that they're actually being pushy about it, but that they have learned that sometimes when they start to make the choice, you follow through with the command or with the cue so that they... Uh, they get reinforced for going and doing that. So we have to be careful about making sure that we are absolutely the one who's cueing that and not that the dog is jumping the gun on us by half of a millisecond.
1: Well, and I think, too, that's where also, because we are such creatures of habit, whether we want to admit it or not, that like if you always pull the toy out of your pocket in the same way that if you, I think I'm wearing my, my training vest, so I'm reaching behind me, (laughs) but that if you like, what does it mean? If you pull the toy out, you're dangling it in front of them and then you say, get it. Like, where, where within that chain are they assuming that
2: they right. are going to get right. the toy?
1: Because if every time you pull it out, you say "get it," then they're like, "Oh, the hand's going back there." Yes, that means the toy is coming, so, and so like dogs will pop
2: out of the weaves, or they're like, "Oh, re- reinforcement's coming." And so, what you're talking about is actually called cue transfer. And so, like you said, what part of that chain is the is the cue, right? So, um, if we if we are reaching for that toy in our pocket, right? To us, the cue might be get it. But what happens is that the dog starts to watch all those observable behaviors that we're making that are happen at every every millisecond before we cue the get it. And so, it's it's like then the dog starts looking for the toy and waiting for the toy when your hand comes out of your pocket or when the toy is starting to dangle, and then it starts to become when you start to reach behind your back into that pocket, right? Or it it becomes the momentary, slight, very touchy deceleration that he sees you do right before you reach to that, so, and we see it very often in like start lines where you walk out, oh right? You walk up. out, you stop <laughs> in your position you put your arm up, you look over your shoulder and you say break or jump or free or whatever. And it's not that the dog is necessarily breaking because he's being malicious. It's just that he knows the pattern and he's like, cool, I know this pattern so I can help you with it. <laughs> but that um, was, uh, the arm up is
1: always... The arm up has is been the, the thing, killer, right? The killer yes. for so many dogs, particularly for my dogs. I'm like, up, up, down, up, down, up, yes. up, down. <laughs> yes, like you're trying to fly
2: away
0: <laughs> That's true here's something i would love for you to just touch on because of course we can't fit your entire lecture <laughs> <in our> lives, <laughs> is the difference between a reward and reinforcement
2: yeah to yeah the dog yeah so um, when something is being reinforced it means that behavior is changing reinforcement and punish punishment we can only know if something is being reinforced or punished when we see observable behaviors change so if we're not, then it means that the dog is not actually finding it reinforcing, right? So if you're giving the dog food, the, but the behavior is not increasing, if the behavior is not being replicated, the dog is not finding that food reinforcing and what we talked about last night was very commonly again start lines is that we have these people that for you know years and years they have problems with these start lines and they walk back and they put food in the dog's mouth and then they lead back out and they release but the dog continues to have trouble with the start line the dog continues to break especially in a trial environment and that's because in that context, the dog is not finding that food reinforcing. It's a reward and he's eating it out of obligation because he knows that you know the behavior is when you put food forward, he takes it and he eats it, hopefully. But if you're not actually seeing the start line replicate if you're not seeing the dog wait until he's released then he's not being reinforced and so we need to think outside the box there what is going to actually make that behavior increase what's going to make it better because it's obviously not just pushing food down the dog's throat while he sits there
0: yep and so that was where I was thinking about reinforcement might actually be the motion yes the release absolutely instead of the reward act in, yes. in place. And yes. so I think that's something that we often forget about is we think about our reinforcement without thinking about what it actually means to the dog. We think about what we think it should be. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And and so then well, we get caught but, up. In or that.
1: forget about context. That it doesn't mean that your dog doesn't find food reinforcing. Right. right. They just don't find it reinforcing for the start line because what they really want is to go do agility. And so oftentimes... Or maybe
2: the value of the food is not enough, right? Right. If you're using kibble or chicken, but you always feed, like train with chicken, right? Then it's no longer highly valuable. And you might see that behavior increase if you went to using steak or, you know, grilled salmon. Um, (laughs) My dog would probably stay for that. Um, But yes, contextually, he's telling you that that behavior is more expensive than the value of your reinforcement. Yeah. It's a more expensive behavior.
0: So the other uh, piece that I'd love for you to touch on a little bit, because um, I think this is such an important thing. And and it makes me think back to when I was training Lincoln and I just rewarded everything because he was kind of soft. And as I reflect back, knowing what I know now, I'm, I think he was always looking for his reinforcement and that's why mm. he was so slow. Um, we spent some time talking about when to reward, and what to do if a dog is throwing behaviors at you. And I was thinking back on my journey with Lincoln, and I always just tended to reward kind of no matter what. And I think I ended up causing some confusion on his part mm-hmm. because of that. So can you talk a little bit through the do it when I cue it, you're going to be reinforced when, I, when you perform the behavior that I'm asking. Mm-hmm. But if you're just throwing behaviors at me, I'm not going to reinforce that and kind of talk through that concept. Sure,
2: sure. So uh, having stimulus control, one of the rules of that means that when we, as soon as we add a cue to a behavior, we no longer want to... The way we get control of that is we no longer want to reinforce the behavior if we have said another cue or if the dog performs a cue that we did not cue, okay? And, you know, no matter how cute it might be, that he's right. No matter how cute it might be that he is so smart and he's offering that again, what happens if, the, if we consistently reinforce things that, are already, that already have a cue applied to them and we reinforce them when it's not cued is the dog starts learning the concept of being able to just gain reinforcement through throwing things out there and that he doesn't really have to listen to the cue that we want. And so we have to be very careful with that. Now, Uh, I always get the question of, you know, what about when we're shaping or we want dogs to offer the behavior, right? When we want dogs to start to offer things, we don't have a cue yet. Well, yes, we do. We have an environmental cue or a picture cue, right? So, you know, in the very beginning, when we start training our puppies or training our young dogs, we sit down on the floor with a bowl of food in our lap or something. That is a cue that we want the dog to offer us something. We put a box out in front of them to play box games. And the presence of the box in relation to us is an environmental cue that we want the dog to engage with that thing but if we are sitting down and the dog is just throwing behaviors at us if we're starting to train the dog is just throwing behaviors at us it means that we're not doing a good enough job of setting up that picture for the dog to understand the behavior we're actually looking for and so we need to be smarter about that Um, it means that we need to find some way to create a picture it might be a different prop it might be you know, a different location. It might be the way we're throwing a reset cookie. Um, However we're doing that, we need to create a picture that helps the dog understand that the dog doesn't feel like, oh, because really that throwing behaviors is frustration. That's what it is, is the dog is going, I don't know how to get the reinforcement. Will this work? Will this work? Will this work? And I don't ever want my dog to... Learn behaviors in a frustrated state because emotion is a criteria, right? And however, whatever we train, when we train it, the emotion the animal has there, we add that into that. And so, if we are creating these, if we are training in a place where the dog is frustrated already, even if we do eventually get the behavior that we wanted. It's now very likely tied into a frustrated feeling and that's not good. So we have to be really careful about that.
1: I think that is such a hard concept for people who are new to trying to get a dog to offer behaviors And that that's part of the journey that you go through as a trainer, because when I think about helping people get into agility, because anytime you tell people you're in agility now that you get a lot of questions. Mm. Um, I made the mistake of saying that at a PetSmart the other day. (laughs) 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 And I thought, so one, if you haven't ever created an operant dog before it's this kind of foreign concept that I want them to do more than just sit and stare at me when I want something from them and so then when they start throwing these behaviors at you you're like hallelujah I've done it I have a dog that can uh, that can offer stuff and and so now like I can train because I have a dog that is is throwing things at me and then like sort of the next step is like oh I mean, that's kind of good, but now I have to figure out how to like tamp that back in a way I have to be more clear instead of just like, yay, you've gone through the tunnel 80 times when I didn't cue it. And I keep rewarding you because I think I'm reinforcing your love of the tunnel. So it's just an interesting concept that I think is hard to help people with right at the beginning. And I'm... it. I would have to it Would be interesting to sure, study sure. folks and be like, can you do that all in one fell swoop as a very first time dog trainer? Cause maybe I want to believe
2: that you can't because I'm actually, I you really can. Didn't. The person who's uh, good at that is the person who's sitting behind you listening to us right now, <laughs> you can, but it means that you have to walk into it and go, I want this to be my thing. Tell me how to do it and do it right from the beginning and listen yeah. to your instructor. Um, <laughs> So there, there is that. Um, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people, especially if they are new to dog training, period, yeah. they view that as intelligence in the dog. Oh, my dog is so smart because he offers all of these things. Um, and you know, we have to remember that while we're talking about breaking things down properly for the dogs, we also have to, as trainers, as coaches, we have to break things down right for the students. And so I'm going to pick my, right. And ourselves, (laughs) I'm going to pick my battles with those students because I'm not going to expect a novice, a, you know, dog trainer to be super consistent and super good about everything. I'm not going to expect their timing and their cues and everything to always be clear. So in the grand scheme of things, if their dog is throwing behaviors and they think it's cute, then cool. I'm glad that they're doing something with their dog. I'm glad that their dog is enjoying it. I'm glad that they are pleased with their dog because the handler being reinforced is also important. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they don't keep paying me money. (laughs) So... (laughs) You know, that's a very important aspect of it too, but I absolutely think you're right. I think a lot of people get in that, um, you know, oh, my dog is offering behaviors. And so that's really good. And if they've never had a dog who's very operant. um, And I've actually worked with a lot of dogs like that, people that come over from, like, I guess if you wanna call it the pet world, and they kind of dabble, they start to dabble in agility. Um, and very often these dogs really, really don't know how to offer behaviors. If they're, if they're older dogs, they don't know how to do that because they've never, they've never been reinforced for anything that wasn't directed in some way, yeah. usually by a pointing finger, <laughs> um, <laughs> or, lure. So, a or lure, lure, right? Yes. And so it's hard then to, it can be hard then to kind of get them on the track of, you know, don't direct him. Don't, you know, don't right. cue this do thing. Let him think about it. But we're not going to let him sit here and be super frustrated about it. We're going to, you know, figure out how to set this picture up in a way that it can be really easy. And if I, if I throw a reset cookie out and I want the dog to then, you know, turn back around and come put his feet on a bowl in front of me, Right. Um, if the dog doesn't even understand the concept of offering a behavior, maybe I don't mark feet on the bowl. Maybe I simply mark the dog turning around and reorienting to me. And that's what it is. I don't even have anything to to do with the bowl first. Um, and so we have to help the students start to understand how we do that breakdown, um, while also helping and making sure that they're being reinforced also.
1: I think it is such a hard balance to find as an instructor to figure out, how much to correct a student or push. My kids are, have started baseball again this year and there is a t-ball dad who corrects every throw that the kid makes. I'm like you're shutting the kid down. Right. So there's yeah, right. And people don't like it when I talk about how you train people, like you train dogs, but I'm like, that's, but it's true, but, but it's, it's true. true. It's yes. so but true. It's true. <laughs> and so that's all I keep saying. I'm like, you're just shutting him down and and it doesn't mean anything. It's just wah, 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 right. like Charlie Brown. And so very interesting to try and figure out how you build that and how many times to re- elbow up, elbow up. Right, yes.
2: (laughs) Well, and I think, like, kind of circling back into the whole stimulus control topic is that, you know, stimulus control versus impulse control is that we as a society tend to really overly focus on correcting or punishing what we don't want instead of reinforcing what we do want. Right. You know, I mean, look at like even just like our criminal justice system tends to be very about we are punishing things. And so we're raised in a way that that is our subconscious focus. It's only natural then that we then tend to, to kind of naturally drift toward this impulse control, negative punishment protocols, because we think about what we don't want the dog to do instead of what we do want the dog to do. And that's, and so with the kids, what I tend
1: to do is I wait about every third throw. I find something that I like about it, compliment the thing that I like and kind of ignore the rest because Mm -hmm. they're four. Yes. (laughs) So like, and then they, 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 key into that. Oh, you liked that thing. I should do that thing again. And then sure enough, there's something else that you can reinforce. So I think of, you know, learning how to throw a ball like shaping <laughs> that that's, that's a perfectly acceptable way to help a kid understand and not, you know, hammer down on them. Wrong, wrong. Do it different. Do it better. Do it better. Like, no, nope, yeah. just reinforce the thing you like. So you get more of it. It, it's really not that hard and it's not different than what we want to see out of our dogs focus on what you can reward and re I think the reframing is a really interesting thing to think about with all of the training stuff that we do is like well how can I reframe this so that I'm thinking about what I do want instead of what I don't want mm-hmm. yes,
0: yes. And I think that goes back to why this is important and why it ties into kind of our mission, which is having more fun with your dogs, it's because it's more fun when you get to set them up to be rewarded for yeah. most every rep. And yes. it's more fun when you never have to tell them no, because you've set it up in such a way yeah. that they can be really successful. Yeah.
2: Yeah and it's also you know when we when we get that stimulus control when we obtain it on our reinforcements when we have a dog that man i can really trust because i've done my homework that I can throw that toy out there somewhere in the middle of a course and I can go do whatever I need with him. And then when I tell him to get it, he'll turn around and whip back and find that toy. But he does not worry about it, right? It's not a focus of his because he's like, oh, I really love this game with my mom because I've done a good job of reinforcing this and setting up up enough with this dog that he really does find doing all of these things reinforcing Um, and kind of a little divergence there as people get stuck in that concept of self-reinforcing. But like I said last night, I actually love dogs that self-reinforce because if they're self-reinforcing, I say that in air quotes, um, by going and taking that tunnel or going and doing that jump It means that they find doing that thing reinforcing, which is awesome. Shouldn't that always be our goal? This silly game that we are playing with these dogs, this is my profession, but the silly game that we're playing, we're having dogs, you know, weave through poles and jump over PVC and run through tunnels and run over ramps at high speed. Um, we want them to have fun. The whole point that we do this is for us to have fun. Um, And so if he's finding these things reinforcing, if he's finding doing these things conditionally reinforcing, then I've done my job and I've created the dog I want. And if he's doing something that is not the next thing in the sequence that I desire, then it's my job to then figure out how to break that down and piece that apart, figure out where the hole in my training is. Um, And I think, you know, that's the part of stimulus control versus impulse control, that is really kind of was really kind of light bulbish to me was that when we talk about impulse control, we are generally talk about talking about something that is inherent in the learner. We we kind of put the brunt of the responsibility off of ourselves by saying, "Oh, he doesn't have impulse control. Oh, he needs impulse control." And so it really is kind of a subconscious of way of saying. Well, there's nothing I can do about this. It's not my fault, right? Whereas when we talk about stimulus control, when we talk about how I've taught the dog to grab the toy when I cue the toy, or I've taught the dog to go to the manners minder when he hears the beep, not otherwise, when he hears it, then we have put the, um, the responsibility of that on the trainer, which is what we should be doing right? We should be putting that on the trainer. It is my job to give the dog the skills to be able to do that. And the reason that getting those skills on our reinforcement is so important is because if I put those skills on the dog for the reinforcement, then I set the dog up for my training later on down the line when I'm training all those other behaviors and obstacles, I can use that newfound control of that reinforcement to help the dog be more successful. Um, and then I can use it to train the dog to strengthen that behavior. Um, the example I used last night was training tunnel throttles. Um, Legolas understands the concept so well of the toy is thrown to where the exit of the tunnel is. And so when I started training him on tunnel throttles, as soon as he saw me throw the toy to the desired exit of the tunnel, which was the closest exit to him... Um, He was like, oh, then I go in that other entrance and he just picked it up because he understood that conceptually. Mm. Um, And it made learning that process extremely easy for him. And then I was able to take that toy and move it strategically and slowly into a way where it was not at the exit of that tunnel now. It slowly moved to the point where maybe it was at the entrance. Maybe he was even having to run over the top of the toy to get into the in, in tunnel cue that I was giving, um, and then come out and get it. So it was able to make understanding that behavior much easier for him in the beginning and then able to really strengthen that behavior. Well,
0: if that's not enough to make you learn more about stimulus control, I don't know what is. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, if people want to find out more about this, how can they find you?
2: Sure, sure. So um, the lecture that I did last night is actually just a working spot list Version of my um, day-long workshop on stimulus control called "Do It When I Cue It," and I do travel around and teach that seminar. Um, and I would say that's probably, man, if you if you really want to get into it, that's a day that we just geek out on it, and you'll get all these little, you know, divergences and all these little topics that pop up as this goes along. Um, but it was originally started as an online class that I started teaching about three years ago, um, and that online class originally started as stimulus control games, which is a six-week online class that's offered through a Facebook group. And then um, due to demand, it ended up into another six-week-long class on advanced stimulus control games, which is actually about... So the first one is about how we obtain stimulus control on our reinforcements. And then the advanced class is about how we use that newfound stimulus control to help train the dogs and strengthen those behaviors. Um, And so those are my best ways to get out and learn about stimulus control. I actually do have... Um, another uh, stimulus control games class starting on Facebook this week. (laughs) Uh, So that's very convenient. Good timing. Um, I generally only offer it about every six months but I had such a demand for it again, almost right after I offered it, that I decided to do it again. Um, and then of course, reaching out to me any other way. Um, my business is called Strategic Dog Sports and I am on Facebook. Uh, my website is strategicdogsports.com. Um, and so all my contact information is there um, if they want to contact me about uh, getting into an online class, uh, finding out when my traveling seminars are, if they want to travel to do one of those are all listed on my website.
0: Perfect. And we will put that link in the
2: show notes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is really, really fun. Yeah. Thank you for being here.
0: So that's all for today's
1: episode. Don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast so you can join us for our next episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or by visiting our website at www.caninehyjinks.com.
0: Thanks for joining us. Make sure to go out and have some fun with your dogs. Talk to you next time.